right. Good morning. Good to see each one of you today, and uh, blessings on all of you. You know, there is, uh, there is a blessing that comes when we pronounce a blessing. Uh, even in the book of Numbers, it says, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, and maybe he be gracious unto you. And when we speak a word of blessing on one another, we are indeed blessed. So I, I just ask you to receive that and, uh, and just allow the love of, of the Father to just wash himself over you in all things. Amen? And uh, I think all of us were aware of a tragedy that happened on Labor Day and, uh, in a boating accident. And I, and I know some family members uh, are here from that loss. And we love you guys. We, uh, our heart breaks with you. Okay? We pray for you and, and just bless you in this time of, of great hurt, tragedy, and pain. So we want to pray for you afterwards. But I didn't want to go by without saying we love you guys. Okay? And even though we haven't met yet, we love you. Okay? All right. All right. Um, you know, it's really interesting how God works and puts messages together that seem to align up with what we do in music or what we're, where we are as a church. And this series we're in is on kingdom discipleship, and today we're going to talk about something that all of us have been pretty good at, and that's sin. Right? I mean, we've all, we've all done that, right? We've all violated some law of the Lord. And what we understand is that in Christ, in the, what Jesus did at the cross, that was the removal of the penalty of that sin. And in its place comes the power of God through the resurrection that we have not only new life in Christ, but we also are able to live above that power that sin has over us, and we have a new power from God. But if you think about this idea of, uh, I want you to think about the word presence, and we talk about the presence of God. And I'm just going to kind of make it look like a cloud just to kind of give us something we can kind of hang our hat on. But if you think about the presence of God, it is our awareness that he is here. See, God is present everywhere all the time, but when we become aware of his presence, it changes us. Just like if you become aware of evil in the world, then that changes you, doesn't it? So what happens is that that sometimes we say, I don't really feel God, or I don't feel the presence of God. So I'm going to, you're always in the presence of God, but what happens, what sin does, is it isolates you or insulates you from the presence. So you're in the presence, but you don't, you're not aware of the presence because of decisions you've made in your life. And sometimes it's not that we've done anything that bad, it's just that we haven't done that which is good. So sometimes our, our sin is a sin of commission, that is something we do against somebody, and sometimes it's a failing to do good. The Bible says if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin, right? So if, if it's in your power to help someone and you don't, then God says, you know, you've, you've really missed the mark on what I wanted for you. I want more for you than that. So let's, let's go back in the book of Genesis for a minute. In the book of Genesis, it says that God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, and there was a presence there. And then I'm, this is a, now the book of Revelation, 
And we again see that God is with man. And again, now man is in the presence again. But what happened in between this perfect moment with Adam and Eve and this final moment in, in eternity is something called sin. Now, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I, I say, well, you know, we're all sinners. And they'll go, well, not me. And, and they're not really trying to avoid the fact that they've not messed up. What they're really trying to say is they've reclassified sin as being something horrible, and they've never done anything horrible. And so I just kind of bring it down to where we really are. And I say, well, have you ever lied as a child or an adult? Oh, yeah, of course. All right, well, you qualify. You now qualify as a sinner, right? It doesn't take much to get into this group, right? And then we perfect it most of our life. And, but the other thing that comes along with sin comes consequences of sin, doesn't it? You know, so th- some of the consequences of sin is that, that our world is what the Bible calls fallen. That means it's not perfect. You know what that means? That means bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people because it's just a part of a world that's not perfect. And sometimes what we do is we kind of fall back and say, well, couldn't, couldn't God prevent tragedy or couldn't he prevent sin in my life? Or couldn't he prevent bad decisions in my life? Yes, he could, but then you would be robotic. There would be no choice. You see, real love comes from choice, doesn't it? You can't force love on somebody, but you can choose to love somebody. And what God wanted was he wanted his world, his kingdom to operate where I can choose to love him. And if I don't want to love him, Then I choose to be apart from him and separated from him. So when we look at this idea of sin, sometimes it's, you know, we think of the most heinous sins that anyone could commit, and that's where our mind goes. Don't let it go there. Let it go to the big picture of all the different things. So we live in a fallen world, so bad things happen uh, to people, to good people, okay? We know that that's a part of it. But it also says that our very creation, the world that we live in, is groaning and is in turmoil. So in other words, the world isn't working exactly the way it should work, the way it will one day work. The evidence of that was when Adam and Eve sinned. Guess what? God says you're going to now labor. We're going to assume that work before that wasn't labor. You're going to now, you're going to go through these pain. You're going to sweat you're going to struggle, you're going to fight against thorns and thistles. So part of this whole idea of weeds and thorns that were growing in this garden were a consequence because even the world was subject to the sin of mankind. So everything got out of order. And so we understand what it means to kind of be out of order or out of balance in our life, don't we? And sometimes we have to say, we gotta regroup and get back in balance. We've gotta get everything right. And sometimes when we push something in one area of our life too far, it throws everything out of balance, and you've got to go back and say, what's wrong here? Sometimes what's wrong is simply you need to, you need to either receive or give forgiveness. You realize that that is, a, that is something that can literally destroy your life if you hold and harbor unforgiveness in your life. Because what do you do with it? It just eats you alive. Sometimes we do that. We hold on to it, an anger, because we're, we think we're punishing the other person, but they're, they may not even be aware of it. What you're doing is you're punishing you. And there's nothing more than the enemy would like to do is to get you into a place where you punish you, you isolate yourself from God and from other people, where you play this blame game, 
you know, that we all do, right? I wouldn't have done that, but it was because of you. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves isolated from the presence of God. Now, if that term presence seems a little bit hard to put your hands around, let's just make it easy. God is always present. When I acknowledge that God is present, when I say, God, I just really sense you in this room, I feel you in this room, what that acknowledgement brings a sense of awareness. When I ignore that, I lose that, and I find myself like, oh, I, I, I don't even hear from God anymore. I don't know where God is. I don't know what God's doing. Does God really care about me or not? Because what we're doing is we're, we're not activating that which we were designed to activate, our, our eternal soul and our mind and our will, all those things. So we have to step into that, so to speak. Now, when Jesus took the 12 disciples and he trained them, he taught them, he wanted to bring them through some basic things. So we're gonna show a diagram here and I'm gonna walk you through it. The first step that they had to do was they had to turn away from their idea about God, about life, they had to repent. And the word repent means I'm going this way and when I make a decision, I go this way into God. So he said, the first thing I want you to do is you need to repent of your sins. That is say, you know what, I'm not God. I quit blaming God. I take, I take a step back and go, I'm gonna trust in God instead of trusting in myself. So repentance and then faith in God. And then you notice the next one there is enlightenment. I have to come to a place where I say, this is who Jesus really is. He's not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a good guy. You know, he was more than that. He was God in the flesh. He was the one who came, was born among men, but he was God in the flesh, and he died on a cross for me. I have to come to a place where I go, he was more than a man, more than a teacher, all right? The next one was he began to, they began to participate in ministry. He said, okay, guys, you've got enough now. You need to start engaging in ministry. What that means is I'm gonna give you some tasks, and as I give you those tasks, that I want you to do. Some of you are gonna prove faithful, and some of you, guess what, are gonna start turning into leaders. And so there's a developmental stage where leadership starts to come to the forefront. And you go, you know what, I have a desire to lead. Okay, in what area? And you begin to see this, and you begin to see these natural traits that we have and these spiritual gifts we have, and all of these things kind of work together to where the disciples begin to grow, and you as a disciple begin to grow. And then this fifth one, and this is where I wanted to get to for today's message, and that is consecration. That means I'm setting myself apart for God. That's an act. That's something you choose to do. You get up in the morning, you say, today I'm living for God. You say, well, do I have to say that every day? It helps. Can I say that, all right? You don't have to say it, but promise you, it helps. You gotta remind you who's in charge of your life. Because if you don't, you're gonna begin to think you are. And then you get offended. You ever been, anybody here been offended? Raise your hand if you've ever been offended. Okay, look around. Was it somebody on your row that offended you? <laughs> but it's easy to get offended, right? Because you know why we get offended? Because we think we're right. That's when we get offended. I never th- get offended when, I'm, when somebody tells me about something that I think is true. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. They tell you it's true. You may not acknowledge it's true, but you know it's true. And it's hard to get offended on that one. But when somebody tells you something, well, yeah, I just don't think that's true at all. True of me. And then you go down life and you go, that was true of me. I was in college and, and I was saved uh, uh, in college 
and then I transferred to a Christian college, and, and I, I had learned a lot. I really studied a lot, and I was just, I was just hungry for it. And I had more knowledge, okay, about the Bible and about God than I had experience to back it up. Are you with me on this one? Okay, you know anybody like that? Okay, anyway. So there was this girl named Janie, and uh, Janie walked up to me one day, and she knew I loved books. She said, I have a new book for you. And I said, oh, great, what is it? She says, well, it's about brokenness. And I said, brokenness? Like, what kind of brokenness? She said, you know, like the kind that you need. And I go, oh, yeah, I don't really like Janie anymore. I was offended because it was true, but I didn't know it was true to the extent that she, and she said, I went through and took the liberty of marking all the places in the book for you so that you would know this is really something you need to zone in on. I took the book. I was mad as can be. Ever been, been that? Somebody told you something about you and you got mad? But you, you're going to act spiritual because I don't want to prove that she's right now. That's for sure. So I take the book. I put it on the shelf. And I say, I'm never reading that book. A couple years later, I read the book. Everything she underlined was right on track. Right on. I, I mean, I go on like, never thanked her. <laughs> Lost track of her purposely. Right? You know what I'm talking about. But it was true. I needed to grow in some areas. Part of what happens in sin is we think we're okay. I'm okay. I'm better than the guy next door. I, therefore, I'm okay. Well, how do you know he's okay? That's your, you see, we don't compare ourselves to that. We compare ourselves to Jesus. How am I doing with what, how Jesus lived his life? Well, not as quite as good. But you see, okay, so that's the goal. I want to be more like him, not better than my neighbor. Are you with me on this? Okay, so let's go into this battle. We, are, we fight battles on every front, don't we? We fight battles at work sometimes. We fight battles in our own households. We fight battles you know, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. We fight battles all the time. We almost feel like sometimes you're fighting some kind of a battle all the time right? But I want you to know the battle that we're talking about today is a real battle. It's a real battle. And in 1 John chapter 2, uh, John says this um, as he's writing. He says, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. Now, let me just remind you, he's not talking about the created order in terms of the, the mountains and the streams and the, and the trees and all of that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a mindset that is the opposite of God, don't love the world system that tells you there is no God. Don't love the world system that gets so mixed up in this philosophical idea and this reasoning and ability that you miss out on what God's up to. You see, it's not that God is unreasonable. It's just that he far exceeds our ability to reason sometimes, and that's why we have to enter into faith. Because I'm telling you, if you think too long about some things, you will never get out of that, that, that house. You just never will because it's like walking into a room with smoke and mirrors and you go, I don't know even what to think anymore. And that's because we're, rely, we're trying to rely on this more than this. It's not the absence of this, it's the combination of this and this together. Because some things just have to, you have to go through them and make sense, but you, then you have to apply your heart to them so you know how to navigate your way through difficult and tragic situations in your life. 
And, and it might be that, that difficult situation might be somebody you work with or somebody you're married to or somebody that, one of your children. It, it, and those things just are part of life because guess what? The world's kind of messed up, right? It's just kind of messed up. So it goes on to say, for all that is in the world, okay, so what are you talking about? And so he, he narrows it down into three things here. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what does that mean? Well, the lust of the flesh is pretty obvious. Does it feel good? And am I approaching something that feels good in an illegitimate way? I cannot do that and righteously fulfill the commands of God. That's what that's talking about. Because we get questions all the time. Well, how close can I get to this and that? Well, if you're asking that question, you better run. Because you see, when you begin a question with a compromise, you're going you're to end with a fall. So you have to know, what. Let me, let me re-examine my question because I think what I'm trying to do is say, how much can I get away with? If, if, that's, the, if that's the way you approach it, you, you just, you're, you're headed for trouble. How about the, the lust of the eyes? How about you see something and you want that and you want that more than you want God? And it may be that it's not a bad thing at all. It's just that you would rather have that than have God in that situation. And then pride of life. That's when you really begin to think you're something. And you think you're better than somebody else. I remember I was in college. I was standing in line at a Walmart. Everybody loves Walmart? Well, not everybody. Some of you are Target people. It's like two different worlds. Okay. I can see we have a Target crowd here. All right. I'm in college, I'm standing in line at a Walmart, and there's somebody in front of me, and I mean, they just, I don't think they had bathed in, ever. And I'm kind of a clean guy, I, you know, I like it clean. I, I, you know, I think, you know, a shower's not that hard to get. I mean, I'd have gladly bought deodorant, anything for this person. I'm sitting there going, and I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, Lord, I can't believe this person. You know that, I mean, this is actually a century in which we have hot running showers, and this person needs to take a bath. And he goes, well, they may stink on the outside, but your thoughts stink on the inside. You need to clean the inside while they clean the outside. You know, if you let God talk to you, you can, you can navigate through most of the junk, you, the bad junk in your head. God, let me just, would you just put all this in order for me? Would you straighten all this out for me? And God will do that. That's a really good thing about God. And then it goes on to say, um, all of this is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he basically says this, look, if you lock your life down into something that's temporary, you're going to be frustrated. You lock yourself down into that which is eternal and permanent. You know, there's only two things that live forever, right? God and your eternal soul. You have to say, I gotta, I gotta take care of this eternal soul, and I'm gonna do that with God. Because hey, guess what? This life is temporary. At its best, it's temporary. Here's what I found in, in this whole idea of sin, and whatever goes through your mind when you think about that for your own self, but I think we give up too easily. We, we, we come to a place where we go, you know, I, can't get, I just can't get control of this. I've tried to get control of this, I can't get control of this. No, you just gave up too easily. 
I guarantee you there are people in here that have, have, have a, a history, they could tell you their history of struggling with something and finally getting victory over it. And then they'll go, it was worth it. Was it easy? No. I mean, stuff that, that you get in, ingrained in your mind and you start doing over and over again, hey, it's hard to get rid of, let's face it. But also, we don't see the big picture. What's the big picture here? What will this cost me over time? That's what I want to know. If I look at this over time, what's it cost me? And it's probably not worth it if you look at it that way. Also, what about the big picture? What has God's got planned for you? What do you miss out on because of you missed out on what God had his best for you? What if you could just go, you know, I would just, we're never going to get away from problems, guys. If you got, if somebody told you that when you first became a Christian, that, you know, your life's going to be wonderful and sweet and everything is going to work, they lied. What it means is you're going to have peace and power in the midst of your tragedy. That's what it means, that somehow you're going to have a perseverance. Somehow you're going to have the power to get through that thing, even though it's as difficult as anything you've ever had in your life. That's the truth. The other opposite, if you don't have God, now you're stuck in it, and you have, and you have no God help to get you out of it. So now it does seem like uh, pointless. It does seem like it's never going to end. And then I think also we underestimate our enemy. You know, the enemy that's, that's out there, he's been, tracing your, he's been tracking with your family for generations. He knows what weaknesses you have. He knows where to hit you. You know, I, I'm going to tell you right now, I have zero temptation to use heroin. None. People say, I'm going to give it to you free. I, I, know, I have no interest. I have no tempted at all. Because that's not my thing. You put my thing out there, you say, what is it? I'm not telling you. <laughs> you post it on Facebook. But you put my thing out there, my thing, like, yeah, I, 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 all day long. And what we do is we tend to judge other people's weakness based on our strength. See, I can't believe they use heroin. Never been tempted, wouldn't even touch it. Yeah, come on, really? No, what if it's your thing? Tell me your thing. Let's talk about your thing for a while and see how well you do. I'm just saying. I mean, if God showed a, a video of your life that nobody saw, would you come to the showing? No, but everybody else would, amen? I can't wait to see that one. Get out the popcorn. We're going to have fun with this one. The battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle primarily. That's what we're fighting. Even though we're, we're physical human, you know, we're physical and human being, we're still fighting this spiritual battle. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says, be strong in the Lord. It doesn't say be strong. It says be strong in the Lord. Because guess what? Your strength, it's not going to get you as far as you need to get. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So I need his strength. I need his power. Mine just doesn't go far enough. Put on the whole armor of God. Well, if we have to wear armor, that means we're under attack. Guess what? The only piece of armor that's not mentioned in that longer portion of that scripture there is anything to cover the back. In other words, you're not supposed to run from the enemy. You're not supposed to fear the enemy. You're supposed to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You face the enemy. Did you know all of the fears you have and all the, all the difficult things you face in life, when you face them, they get smaller, but when you turn your back on them, they get bigger? Hey, you want your problems to get smaller? Face them. Look them in the eye. 
you're not doing that to me anymore. I'm gonna solve this problem, I'm gonna fix this deal, I'm gonna navigate my way through this one. I'm not gonna run from it or try to let it go underground any longer. I gotta get a handle on this thing. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you know that word wiles there is actually a term from fishing. Anybody fisher? I know Doug, I know you're a fisherman. But you, you like fishing, right? Well, have you, I don't like to fish. I don't eat fish. I don't like to touch fish. I don't like to smell a fish. Am I clear? I also am confused by a food group that its greatest compliment is it doesn't taste fishy. <laughs> Have you ever really thought about that? Because we never say that about steak. Oh, eat it, it doesn't taste beefy. <laughs> but I do know something about fishing, and that is you need a lure, right? You get a lure, you take this lure, you cast it out there, and this lure somehow has got the right kind of movement, colors, flashing, whatever's going on in that thing, that the fish goes, I'm going for it. And then they bite it, because why? It's just too appealing. I mean, just imagine, you know, two fish down there, one's looking at the other one and go, hey, look at that. That's a trick. Not, do you remember Charlie? Charlie got it. Charlie's gone. We don't know where Charlie is. We think he's in a can somewhere. It's Charlie the tuna, for those of you who don't know. All right. And so, so Charlie got it. No, no, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm, I'm staying back. You go for it. Goes for it. Gets the hook. Out he goes. He's done. He's in the can. Do you really think the enemy is going to put something in front of you that's not that tantalizing? And your buddy's going, don't do it. Don't do it. No, I think it's Okay. I think I'll be fine. Yeah, you're going to be in the cans where you're going to be. It's not going to work for you. I trust me that. All right, now look what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You may think your biggest problem is the person that you are got on your mind right now. They're not. Your real enemy, it says, is not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual forces uh, hosts in wickedness in heavenly places. So he gives you a long list of things. You go, what is that? Well, there's a hierarchy within the angelic realm. There's also a hierarchy within the demonic realm. And there's functions that happen within that. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like you have to say, well, what am I really facing here? So I kind of broke this down a little bit for you. Let's start with kingdoms. And I think kingdoms in the, in the demonic world are jurisdictions of evil. And if we think about a kingdom here on earth, we think about, well, then if the enemy has a kingdom, he has a jurisdiction of evil, and then in that, there's principalities. So we kind of break that down into subgroups and powers, and so that there's this kingdom of evil. And, and what we want to do is we want to we stay away from that. We want to stand strong against that. We don't want to get participation in that. And then there are rulers, and I think rulers are those human agents of, of the darkness, now, it's easy to pull up a name like Adolf Hitler or Stalin or Mussolini and identify them as a ruler of darkness because of the bad things they did in history. But remember, that also happens on different layers all the way down. And so we know that there are people who really are bent on evil. They're bent on doing bad things to people around the world, whether it's human trafficking or something else. They're just bent on bad. They don't have a conscience. Do you know it's possible, the Bible says, that your conscience can become seared as with a branding iron. That means it's no longer sensitive. 
that you can get to a place to where you no longer feel the pain of another human being. Think about that one. How tragic is that? You no longer feel that there's anything wrong with what you're doing, even though you've read the Bible, you know the Bible. You can sear your conscience that way, and it, and it does not respond to anything that you normally would. And then there's uh, forces of evil, and I think that's just spiritual forces in our world. We talk about we can walk into a place, sometimes in a city. I've been preached all over the world and, and been into some parts of cities where I just, wow, this just feels evil. There's something going on here. I don't know what this is, but this is not good, right? And then I, you could literally walk across the street and you don't feel that because there's influences of spiritual, both good and evil, in the world, and we, when we become more aware of that, more sensitive to that in our spirit, we can sense that we can do battles on a better level altogether. Now, this is something you might wanna write down. This is something pretty helpful. There's really two big kind of sins, and one's a sin against God's holiness. And what that means is God has a moral code called the Bible, and when I violate that moral code, that's a sin against the holiness of God. But the second one, and the one that is really uh, far, has far more consequences, that is a sin uh, against his authority. That means I say no to God. It's one thing to say yes to sin. It's another thing to say, God, you have no right in my life. That's a sin against the authority. And whenever you see that happening in the, in the life of biblical characters, it's always tragic for them. King Saul is a good example. He sinned against the authority of God, and God took his kingdom from him. David, who followed him as king, he sinned against the holiness of God, but not against the authority of God. He, re he kept his kingdom. He remained king. He still had to repent, but he did not lose it because it, the, there's a sin against authority. See, here's what happens. When we lose sight of authority in our world, we miss out on who God is. Because ultimately, the person that says no to God is saying, he has no right over me. So as you're raising kids, what are you teaching? You're teaching them to respect authority, don't you? Right? And then as they grow up, they get older, they learn how to, because if I can learn it on this level, I can apply it on this level, I can apply it on this level, apply it on this level. And then it makes it easier for me to understand God. And when God shows me something in his word, makes it easier for me to do it. It just kind of makes sense, right? So let's go on. Thank you. The battle is winnable, though. Here's the good news. You can win the battle. If we had a testimony going on here and say, what battle have you fought that was unbelievable? And we go, wow, you won that battle? That's amazing. That's amazing. That's what we want to do. We want to see battles being won. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this, for no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to all men. Trust me. When you say, I had, the, I had the worst temptation that anybody's ever had in, my, in, in the world. No, you didn't. That's what this says. No, it's common. In other words, everybody's tempted. You say, yeah, but not like me. No, but they were tempted and it was common. You know, it's like the guy who says, well, you know, I could never go to church because I'm the biggest sinner. I go, well, you're welcome. We got a whole house full of them. Amen? I mean, like, we, we don't bypass that one. You think you're the greatest sinner? Tell me your sin. Yeah, you're nothing. You're an amateur. Let me introduce you to a couple of guys at church. I'll tell you, they, they're experts. It says, he will not let you be tempted beyond that which you're able. So what happens is, you see, we get to a place where I go, here's the temptation, and, and I'm right here, and God says, I'm going to give you a way of escape. Do you want it? You get to choose. 
I'll give you the power. I'll open up your eyes so you'll see it. Will you choose to do what is good? That's up to you. But don't blame me and think it was just too big a temptation. He says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Oh, man, I'm glad I got out of that one. God got you out of that one. Rejoice in him. You see, everyone, here's the truth. Everyone experiences temptation. Everybody in this room. Look around. Just take a light right to the left. Look at them. Look at them. Go ahead. Just take a minute. They have been tempted. Now ask them, did you give in? No, don't do that. So everyone has, and guess what? Your temptations are always aligned with your weakness. If you know where you're weak, then you know where you're gonna get tempted. If you are oblivious to where you're weak, you're gonna get blindsided. You have to know you. You have to know where your weakness is. What is it, what's the button that somebody pushes that takes you off the edge? You gotta control the button. Hello? You ever been offended? Anybody here ever been offended? Right? Okay, well, remember what we said. You're offended in the area of your weakness, never the area of your strength. Find your weakness, deal with it, put one of those little guards over it. Yeah, I gotta break the glass to get in and push the button. You gotta do something to prevent that from happening in your life. And guess what? You escape ultimately by wisdom. See, I've never seen someone who was tempted that all of a sudden they said, I just pray that God would get me out of this, and this giant hook from the heavens came down, grabbed the guy, got him out of that situation. That never happened. No, there's no cosmic sky hooks. You know what it was? They go, you know what? The best thing for me to do is say no, is to get out of this situation, is to stop it before I get too far into it. Because if I get too far into it, I can't, there's no turning back. So when I lived in Louisiana, they had these big patches. They were called briar patches, and they were just like all kinds of thorns and everything else. And you didn't know what you were getting into. You just kind of walked along. Next thing you know, you're in this briar patch, and you're halfway through it, and you're trying to figure out, is it better to go back out or go all the way across? Because you're trapped. You're trapped in these briars, okay? See, sometimes when we're dealing with sin, we say, you know, I've already got this far in, I might as well finish it. Does it really make any, any difference? Yes, because now you added intent onto what might have been weakness. See where this is going? So now what I'm doing is, yeah, I got into this thing because I was just kinda a little bit naive, maybe a little bit not really paying attention, but now it's intent to say, I'm gonna go just finish it out because actually, I mean, sin is sin, right? Yeah, sin is sin, but consequences are different. The cost on you is different than it is on some other, thing, uh, other people. See, some things that you say somebody got away with, they never did get away with it. You just thought they got away with it. But you don't know the consequences that it did when it put some, some shadows on their soul. You damaged the infrastructure of your spiritual being and you didn't know it. And that's why the Bible says you gotta renew your mind. You gotta get some stuff straightened out. Because you can't live long enough to, make, to learn from all the mistakes that you can make. You have to not stop making mistakes so that you grow and progress as a human being on planet Earth.
Because you know what? You, when you're walking with God, when you got it all straightened out and your life's in balance, you're a phenomenal human being, aren't you? It's the minute you start getting offended, you start doing the wrong directions, thinking the wrong stuff. You know, you're not so great. None of us are. None of us are. So, God has, a, has provided for us the cross. And we're gonna, um, we're gonna bring this cross out over here. We did this in the first service. and The cross is where you bring your burdens. It's where you bring your sins. It's where you bring your disappointments, your setbacks. It also is a place where you can bring your, the hope and the joy and the things you're believing God for. So in the first service, we asked people to, to come and um, write on a piece of paper something they were asking God to, to work with in their life. Maybe it was forgiveness. Maybe it was something they were trusting God for. Maybe it was a brokenness. And, uh, and put it on the cross. And we've used this cross uh, many times for this reason. We never read anything on here. We take them off here and we shred them because it's really not between us and you. But some, something happens, and I don't know what it is, but when we write it out and we stick it on that cross, there's something that just connects it. It's a touch point of faith that changes us. So we have a number of tables uh, across the, uh, the front of the uh, worship center here. And you can just, in just a moment, you can come up and write something on this sheet. And you, if you want to write code, because you think we might get tempted, write code. But don't miss out on this moment where you get to start fresh. You start new. You just put it before God. What do you trust in God? What do you believe in God for? So let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then we're just going to give you a few minutes to come to the cross. And there'll be people here to help you if you need any help. Pins and paper here, here, here. Let's pray. Father. God, we are so glad that you have provided for us a way out of our sin, of our humanness, of our hurt, our pain, our tragedy. It's not always a quick path. We thank you, God, that you can heal the brokenness, heal some of the consequences, and get us started new again. We thank you, God, that you have given us a way by our faith that we can see prayers being answered in our life. Our life can be transformed and made new and fresh in Jesus. God, take all these prayers that we put on this cross. Take all the heartache that we have on this cross. And God, resurrect us. Let us experience new life in you, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're just going to give you a few minutes now to go to the cross.